Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue our series entitled, But God. We're on lesson number 10. And as I kind of set up at the beginning of this, you'll hear, but on each one of these lessons, we've seen some challenges that Satan has presented in God's response. And when God shows up, everything changes. Last week, it was a humbling of a rich man. And this week, we are going to see how God humbles the wise, the noble, the mighty. We're going to see how God takes what you think would be the normal way of doing things, and he switches it all up. You'll hear as we get into it, but thank you for being a part of the podcast and listening to our adult Bible study. Of course, we always love to have you in person in one of our classes. we got two more weeks left in this series, and then we'll be starting a new series that we'll be announcing here in the next couple weeks. And then always, always, uh, we'd love to have you sign up for the newsletter that comes out on Monday mornings. And also join our Facebook group, leave a review, all those different things. So, hey, without further ado, here is lesson number 10 in our But God series. I don't necessarily have a specific title for it, but here it is. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Last week we kind of got into the New Testament. This is lesson 10 in our series around those two words, but God. That's what we are looking at. We're looking at this these these two words that really show, I call it, I think, I can't remember the subtitle now. It slipped my mind last week at this point. It slipped my mind now, but it's, it's God's response to Satan's challenges in a sense. So we have looked at several cases in the Bible in which there was a challenge. Something was maybe difficult, but God showed up. When God shows up, things change. And And last week we kind of got into the New Testament, we were Luke chapter number 12, and in that situation when God showed up, a man was humbled because he was a rich man. Not that that was wrong necessarily, but what was wrong was his heart towards money rather than his heart towards God. And And he wasn't rich toward God, and we saw what God said to him when he came and said, Today, tonight, thy soul shall be required of thee. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we're going to look at really... There's two points and then one testimony that I want us to see here. And I've, I've tried to figure out where to start in this text. You'll see our but God phrase in verse 27. And I think I'll just read that and then we'll back up. Because I've already prayed, so I'm not going to pray again. But we'll back up. And notice our but God. It starts the verse in verse 27. It says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the thought continues, it says, In the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so today on this but God phrase that we are looking at, it's, it's a contrast between what you would normally think and what God actually does. And I'm going to give you a chance here in a little bit to give me some illustrations of this. When we get down to that point, I want you to you give me some illustrations. But we're going to back up to verse 18 and jump into a context, into a church that was kind of a mess. The church of Corinth was not a stable church. It was a church filled with pride. A lot of these people were puffed up about who they were. 
They, they really thought that they were somebody. They was, Corinth was uh, not too far from Athens. It was a city of intellects, uh, philosophers. We talked about it when we studied the book of Acts in verse chapter 17 when, when Paul went to them and they had all these foreign gods and, and uh, they were, there were the philosophers, the Stoics were there. Well, we're a little bit out of that area in Corinth, but not too far. And it's kind of bled over into them. And so we're going to see him kind of attack the wisdom of man today. And he's going to talk about the wisdom of man versus God's revealed wisdom. Wisdom is used in verses 18 and 25. It's used eight times. And then if you take into the context and go into chapter 2, it's used many more times in this section. And so God is going to make this contrast, really, the whole day between man's wisdom. What we would say, that is great, that is wise, that is effective, that is powerful, versus God's revealed wisdom. That's going to kind of be the contrast. But look at verse 18. Let's just back up for a second, kind of get dug in here a little bit, and find out what we're talking about. So verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. Now let me, I love that verse. That's a great verse. But let's just settle in there for a second and understand what it is. Because in this class, there's some of you that understand what that is very clearly. And maybe some of you, it's a little bit newer. So when I say the preaching of the cross, what am I referring to? I'm not just referring to a, a wooden structure that was set up there, Right. I'm referring to what Michelle and I got to talk to a lady named Cheryl about a couple weeks ago. I'm referring to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He couldn't sin. He's God. And he died upon that cross 2,000 years ago. And he died upon that cross, and then he was taken down and he was buried. And then coming up soon, we're going to be celebrating Easter or the Resurrection Sunday that Jesus didn't stay buried, that he rose again from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over death. He was our substitutionary atonement. He took our place on that cross. I deserve to be on that cross, not him. He took my place. He took your place on that cross, and he died for our sins. He was buried in our sins, and he rose again victorious over our sins so that you and I can can one day spend eternity with him, not just automatically, though I heard we heard someone recently say this, it's just, well, Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's going to heaven. No, there's a decision I need to make, and it's not a decision of action. This young man here who said he's going to be getting baptized today, and Rebecca who's going to be getting baptized today, they're not going to heaven because of what they're going to do today. They're going to heaven because of what they've already done, and we celebrate with them. What they're doing today is when they go down into that water, you know what? They're going down, and it's going to be a picture of Jesus' death and his burial. And then when, they, when Dad brings them up, assuming he can, <laughs> uh, but when Dad brings them up out of that water, that's going to be a picture of their, the Jesus resurrecting from the grave. That's what's going to happen. And they're just saying to all of us that are watching, we are on, I, I, don't, I don't say this in a disrespectful way, but in light of sports, and I like sports, we're on Team Jesus. You know, people this next few weeks, not too many here unless you're a Duke fan, but they're going to be wearing their, their, their teams that they like. 
Duke fans, I'm pulling for Duke now. I want Mike K to go out on top, so I'm pulling for Duke. Yeah. But but Duke fans or North Carolina, wherever, they're going to be wearing their colors and they're going to be cheering their teams. And so you don't have to go in. Uh, right here, my guy right here, he's wearing a Purdue jacket. All right, so I haven't thrown him out yet. No, no, you both of you, both of you out. Now, we don't know each other well. He just got here within the last several months, and he's been working with the good news. So we don't know each other well, but I'm assuming he likes Purdue. Or he found out a Goodwill, which more than likely. But I'm assuming he likes Purdue, all right? I'm assuming he likes – why do I assume he likes Purdue? Because he has a Purdue jacket on. Now, I know this guy right here would never wear a Purdue jacket. This guy right here wouldn't let his kid, who's probably nine years old, sleep at the house if he had a Purdue jacket. There's no way. So I know them, and I, so I got an idea. Now I know why you're sitting over here and these guys are sitting over here. But that jacket identifies you. And so when they are getting baptized, it, they are identifying. They're saying to all of us, we're with Jesus Christ. Now, I went through all of that because when I say the preaching of the cross, that's what I'm talking about. The preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is what he's referring to. And to them that perish, to the lost, they look at that and say, that's so foolish. Oh, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. Yeah, right. That is foolishness. Man doesn't come back alive. It just doesn't happen. So to the preaching of the cross, the first section here, he's kind of dealing with the cross. And I want to read a few verses and get down to verse 23 at least. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, God said. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's a neat little phrase there, the foolishness of preaching. It doesn't mean that the preacher himself is foolish. It doesn't mean that the act, it just means that what the wise intellects look at and say, teaching, trying to preach that Jesus on the cross stuff, that's foolishness, but it changes lives. I'm looking at a room full of people whose lives have been changed by that foolish preaching. I'm looking at some people that had no hope and now they have hope. I'm looking at some people who's, who, who have seen sin destroy their lives and then now have seen that freedom from sin. Not saying they don't sin again, but what I'm saying is they're not under that burden of sin anymore because of Jesus Christ. So the foolishness of preaching save them that believe. But now here's the, some responses to the cross. Here are some responses that the, of people that struggle. It says, verse 22, for the, uh, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Now, let's start right there. The Jews look at the cross as a stumbling block. They struggle with this cross because the Jews have always been, if you study history, and if you study even the Old Testament, but you study the New Testament, Jews always want a sign. They live by signs. They need to see before they would believe. And so the Jews are looking for a Messiah even today. I was listening to an interview with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of, of Facebook, and he has went back to his Jewish roots with his kid. The, the interviewer asked him if he was religious, 
and he said he was raised Jewish and he's going back to his Jewish roots. And I thought, well, I'm glad that he's religious, I guess, but it's unfortunate that he's going back to his Jewish roots and not because of anything hateful, but it was because the Jews, many of them that have not become believers, are still looking for the Messiah. And he's already come. But the Jews struggle with that because the Jews have all, they can't understand a suffering Savior. They, they, the Jews have this mindset that the, that, that the Savior is going to come and he's going to rule, and he is going to in the end times. But this part of the church and this part of the, the, the crucified Savior, they struggle with. And remember, didn't even the disciples struggle with that? Because even the, even the night after Jesus' resurrection and, and, and before he ascended to heaven, they were saying, hey, now are you at least going to set up your kingdom? And before Jesus went to the cross, they kept saying, aren't you going to be the king? And he said, no, no, no. And Jesus would even tell him after doing a miracle, he would say, now don't go and spread this. Because he knew the Jews were going to rally around a king. They wanted a king, but Jesus had come to suffer. You ever read Isaiah 53? If you're ever witnessing to a Jew, you want to go to the Old Testament, they don't believe in the New Testament because they don't believe Jesus is God. So they don't believe the New Testament. They don't care anything about the New Testament. So if you're witnessing to a Jew, you go to the Old Testament, and I would go to Isaiah 53 and set up the New Testament because Isaiah 53 is all about a suffering Savior. But a Jew has a difficult time with that because they, they want their Savior to come and, and rule and reign, and but... Isaiah 53 says his visage was so marred more than any man. He talks about after Jesus, it was a prophetic pa passage about Jesus, what he was going to look like. And, and he talks about how he was so marred on that cross that, that you couldn't even hardly recognize him as a man. The Jews struggle with that passage. It's not a comfort to them. The cross was something that was weak to them. <clears throat> And so the Jews, to them, the cross, the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block. They trip over that. It's, it's, it's hard for them. But then he goes on, he says, to the Jews, they require a sign. He says, to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Verse 23, and unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. The Greeks are all about wisdom. The Greeks are all about intellect. You study them in history, they're all about intellect they're all about uh, philosophy and figuring all these things out and so to them the preaching of the cross is just foolishness they would just mock this there's no way that this could really happen first of all and there's no way that this is going to change people's lives and so they would just mock it and so to the greeks it was just foolishness and paul ran into that but then back a few verses earlier when I was reading about the wise and the scribes and the disputers he's basically paul was pointing out the wise were the experts and he said in that verse, was it, what was it, verse number 20, he says, where is the wise? Where's your experts that speak against the cross? He said, where, where's the, the scribes? That's the writers or the interpreters. He goes, where are they at? Where's the disputers? Those are your philosophers and debaters. And what he's basically getting at in this text is that the wisest people that the Greeks could, to, could come up with still cannot find God. And they don't experience salvation. But yet, a fisherman meets Jesus and his life is changed. You see, that's the, what this but God phrase is all about. What you would think is normal. You would think something this great that, that is eternal, that something that's going to 
that change a life has to be so high that it's hard to grasp, but yet Jesus became so low so that the humblest of people, the most base of people, in, in, in a sadly, unfortunately, world's eyes, can attain salvation. Because it's nothing that we have done. It's everything that Jesus has already done. And so he says, the Greeks, they, they, they struggle with this. But, but then the third person is the believers. He says, he says, the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And in verse, back in verse 21, he says, or no, not verse 21, it's on Dan. We'll get to it in just a second. But he's talking about those that believe. It's by faith. And so there's some that just stumble at that. They struggle with that. There's others. I, I was listening. I'm, I was going to say this later, but I'm going to say it now. I was listening to Elon Musk. You guys know the name Elon Musk now, right? He's a big name out there. I was listening to an interview. I like to listen to some interviews with people that are just considered brains, just super smart. And I just want to listen to them. And I wanted to listen to Elon Musk, so I listened to about an hour and a half podcast while I was at work the other day of Elon Musk talking. And the interviewer brought up religion. This interviewer, I think, he's another brain, and I think he's wrestling with his faith. I think he's, he, he's interviewed so many Christians that he knows there's something out there greater, but he can't, he's just like a Greek. He, he can't humble himself to believe it. I really believe it. It's Tim Ferriss who I'm talking about. So, so Tim Ferriss... It was interviewing Elon Musk, and he was asking Elon Musk about his faith. And Elon Musk has said several things in different interviews, but I was listening to his answer, and I don't remember the exact quote of it, but he, he's overthinking it. Elon Musk is so smart. I'm not, whether you like him or not, I don't, it don't matter to me. I'm just saying he's a smart guy. We would all have to agree with that. And he's overthinking it. And while he was answering the question, he was trying to, he was trying to, take all of that he knows about coding or all that he knows about engineering and he was trying to put an answer together and, and I was sitting here thinking this just dumb guy that works at First National Bank that's in front of you right now I was just sitting here thinking hey Elon it's not that hard man <laughs> Jesus died for you he loves you he died on the cross he was buried and he rose again and by it's faith that you receive him not your intellect and I'm just sitting there thinking this but he was trying to figure it all out in his scientific, very smart intellect mind. But the, thing, the, 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 the one area that the smartest of people in this world struggle with is that area of faith. you got to believe. Now, he'll want to get to the planets, to Mars, and everywhere else, but he has a hard time just believing and being responsible to God. And I've listened, I still listen to him. I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by how that they're trying to figure this out. And I love when they ask those questions. But, but that's what this passage is talking about. Because listen to verse 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, talking to Christians, how that not many wise men after the flesh, Elon Musk, not many mighty, not many noble are called. The word called, don't get confused. It's got the idea they're all invited. Everybody's invited. Everybody's salvation is for all. The end of Romans chapter number 10, I was sharing with that Cheryl recently, says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever can be saved, but the wise struggle to become humble enough to do it. The many of the mighty 
are struggling with the thought that they can't just power their way to heaven or pay their way to heaven. They struggle with that because they've worked so hard to earn what they have. And many of the noble, it's that fame or power that, that they I should just be allowed into heaven. No, no, no. It's the base. It's, notice what he, he continues to say. But it says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. So, number one, I saw in this that the cross was was a subject of of contrast that was a struggle. But then it's more than just dealing with salvation here once we get to verses 26. Because we understand, I think, that salvation is by faith to people in this room, and we understand that some struggle with that. And But do you, here's where I think a lot of us can struggle. Because we're saved, and we're thankful that we're saved, and we rejoice in that, we're humbled by that. But some of us struggle with serving God because we, we have all kinds of excuses. Well, you just don't know my past. Because of my past, it just... I think God would save me. I believe he saved me, and I rejoice in that, but I don't know that I can really be effective or used by God because of my past. That doesn't sound like my God. Well, you don't know my family situation, and because of my family situation, I just, I don't know that, it, or I don't know my Bible real well, so I don't know that I can be used, or, you know, my testimony in the community, it's a small town, people know who I used to be, so I just don't think, well, hold on, all of that is just excuses, but what I'm hearing here, what I'm seeing in this text, that God takes the base things of this world, the despised, and, and that's what he uses to bring to not the things that are. That's what God wants to use. God wants to use you. You see, if you thought that you had a good enough talent and said, all right, God, hey, I'm the one you want to pick, then you're definitely not the one that God wants to use. God uses the humble. You see, so, But I, I want to back up real quick because... It says in verse 26, he says that how that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. So it's not wrong to be wise. If you're in here and you're pretty smart, don't be like, oh, I'm going to play like I'm dumb at this church. No, that's great. I'm glad that you are. There's a lot. Of, I'm not playing dumb in front of you. I just am. All right. So you don't have to play dumb. There's not, you can be wise. You can be noble and, and you can be mighty and still receive the gospel, but it's it's difficult, not because the gospel is difficult, but because everybody that comes to Christ and everybody that's used of God has to humble themselves. And not many wise want to humble themselves. Not many mighty want to humble themselves. Not many noble want to humble themselves. And even to be used of God, we've got to be humble. And so he says, <clears throat> he says there's, we've, oh, this is where I want to bring you in. Let's just bring you in here for a second. Let's think about the Bible. Let's think about what God has really done. Let's just go to Bible times alone, and let's think about how God has used people in the Bible that seem unlikely. What, who are some unlikely candidates in the Bible that God used that would be maybe, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that they would be picked? If it was a kickball team, you wouldn't think they'd be picked. Who would you say? Saul. Saul. You wouldn't think Saul. You're talking about in the New Testament, Saul. Yeah, you wouldn't think Saul. Why would we not think Saul in the New Testament? Because he persecuted Christians. He was basically a terrorist to the church, the early church. He was ripping them from their homes, taking them to be killed. I mean, you would not look at that guy and say, he's going to be 
write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's going to be greatly used. You look at that guy and say, we need to kill him so that the church can flourish. God says, hey, watch this. Now he's one of the greatest men of the New Testament. But he was one of the most evil. But God. But God. God can change things. So that's a good one. Good start. Who else? David. Boy, why would we think that David couldn't be used? Well, adultery, murder, a lot of things. I mean, most of us aren't going down to the jails to find a murderer to be our next pastor of the church. It's not where you find your candidates to be a pastor of the church or, or to be babysit your kids or anything like that. Most of us look at the murderers and say, when are they going to be executed? And I'm not saying I'm not against capital. I'm not saying anything about that. Here's what I'm saying. God looks at that and says, he's a man after my own heart. I can humble them. He humbled himself. So you wouldn't think David. And let's back up even greater than that. Why, why would we think David wouldn't even be considered a king? Because he was a shepherd boy. I mean, just a shepherd boy. That was, that's the lowest of low in the Old Testament. A shepherd boy. So even Samuel, when he comes in, they didn't even, they didn't even invite him to come in. They don't, they don't even bring him in. Just bring all the other boys because they're strong and everything. He's just the youngest. He's the runt. He's in the field. He's a shepherd. Don't even bother to invite him in. And Samuel says, is this all your boys? He said, I only got one more, but he's, he's a shepherd. He said, bring him in. And God flipped the switch, said, that's the one. He didn't seem like the one, but that's the one. What else? What we got? How about uh, Joseph? He didn't seem like a necessarily, not because he was a bad guy, but he just, he had older brothers. He had all huge family. His family was in chaos. All, I mean, you, if you want to use your family as an excuse, say, I can't serve God, look at his family. I mean, he had, he had a mom, a stepmom, a step-stepmom, a step-step-step. I mean, all the sides, they were all fighting. He, this person was having kids, and this person was having kids, and then this one, and then this one. I mean, they were, it was all kinds of chaos. But God looked down in that chaotic family and said, I'm going to use this young man. And he used him in an unlikely way, too. Throw him into prison, get him lied about, all kinds of stuff. There's different people in the Bible that, that, that you would look at, even in Joseph's sons. Joseph had two sons, and usually the older will be the one that's going to be get the blessing and the birthright. But in, even in that case, Ephraim and Manasseh, God laid his hand, his right hand, or excuse me, Jacob laid his right hand on the younger. And he used the younger just like what happened to Jacob. Esau was the oldest, but God said, I'm going to switch it up on you and I'm going to take the youngest. I know that's not normal. I know that's not the, what you would think, but I'm going to take what you think is foolish and do something great. So here's why I say all of this. Whatever excuse you may look at and say, there's no way that I can be used of God because of blank. God says, I don't buy that excuse. I don't buy that excuse. Because I'm not looking for the most wise. I'm looking for the humble. I'm not looking for the most mighty. I'm looking for the weak. I'm not looking for the most noble. I'm looking for the nobody. Because that's who God can use. And here's why. Why would God care? Now, I'm not saying, God again, that God won't use a wise or mighty. But I'm, they don't have to be. You know, sometimes we get this mindset that, oh, that... that athlete or that Hollywood star became a Christian, now they can influence so many people. Yeah, maybe, but so can you and Q not. 
God doesn't care about your position. And so why would God do all this? So it says in verse number 29, here's why God would flip things up and do what you don't think is normal. He said this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Did you catch that? You know, if I was really wise in teaching you, there would be a, a little bit of me that would think, wow, I did a pretty good job this week. You know what? Knocked it out of the park. But when you realize that you don't even like to be around people, <laughs> let alone, you don't, you're nervous just to stand in front of people and you teach. Or when you realize that, I think about this young man, I didn't know him, but I heard of a story, he had no arms and no legs. And he would go to a mall, and he would sit there in this mall, and he would have a stack full of gospel tracks that shared the gospel. And you got a kid with no arms and no legs, he's going to get some attention, and they would just set him up there and leave. And he would just sit in the mall, and he would call people over, not rude, not, not loud, not obnoxious, just call people over, and he would say, could you do me a favor? And they'd say, yeah. He'd say, could you read this to me? And they would read through that gospel tract to him. They felt sorry for him, you know, and they'd read through that gospel tract for him. And then he would say, do you know what that means? And he would get to talk to him. And he would see many people led to Christ because of that. And they said he died younger because of all the things that were going on. And when he died, they, they had a big funeral. And I may be getting a few of the details wrong, but they had a big funeral for him. A lot of people came in his town and the, whoever did the funeral said to them, hey, if you were impacted by his ministry at the mall, would you stand up? And a lot of people in that room stood up and said, I got saved at the mall talking to this kid. Now, every one of us would look at that kid and say, wow, I feel so sorry for him. He, he's had it rough in life. This kid, he did, he, he's got to hate his life. <laughs> I bet in heaven... He's going to have so many rewards to cast back at Jesus' feet because he didn't sit back and say, well, I'm a nobody. I, I can't do this. He simply said, God, with what you have given me, I'm going to glorify you. You see, that's what this passage finishes up by saying. He says the reason why, one of the reasons why God does this is to shame the wise, to confound the wise. God loves to switch it up and the wise look at this and scratch their heads and say, I can't figure this out. But the other reason is so that we have nothing to glory in. All the glory belongs to God. There was nothing in that kid that we would look at him at the mall and say, wow, this is the most dynamic person. No, he was just someone that had a lot of things wrong with him, but all of the glory goes to God. And he knew he's going to give glory to God. You know, this same young man, if he'd have had everything going for him, he may have taken some of the glory for himself. He may have not even been at that mall, but he, God gets the glory. Our life is to bring glory to God. And so there was the contrast of the cross. To them it was foolishness, but it's the power of God to us that are saved. Then you have the called, you would think it'd be the wise, the noble, and the mighty, but God sometimes uses those that would seem like outcasts, that would seem like there's no way they could be used. That's who God uses. And then Paul kind of, when he gets into chapter 2, he just basically says, here's my testimony. We just talked about it right there when John shared it. But look at chapter 2. We'll just read a few of these and be done. Verse 1, it says, And I, brethren... So he's in the same context. 
When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, now, now this next verse, next couple of verses, tell me if this is how you picture Paul. When I picture Paul, I picture him coming into town. Like, when he comes into town, everybody's like, whoa, here's Paul. That's how I picture it. I just picture it everybody's like, oh, I've got to go hear Paul. We're signing up. We're going to that service. We've got to hear Paul. When he speaks, I just picture him up there with such confidence. Not pride. I'm not saying that, but I just picture this guy carrying himself with confidence. He preaches the gospel. People are getting saved. He's just used to it. He just moves on. But notice what this says. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I preached. Now watch verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and, and, of, and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, when I came to your church at Corinth, I was scared to death. He said, my voice, you could probably hear the tremor in my voice. I was nervous. I was weak. And I did the best I could, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything special. I just shared the gospel. And that's what is so amazing about the power of the gospel to finish where we started. It is the power of the cross, not the power of the preacher. It's the message of the gospel. Paul said it's the power uh, that the gospel is, I just lost that phrase, but it's the power of the gospel. It is, it, that is where the power is. It's not in the dynamic speaker. Now, can you have dynamic speakers? Yes, I've heard some dynamic speakers and they do a great job and they are effective and used by God. But they're dynamic because of their dependence upon God, not themselves. The power is in the gospel. The power is in the word of God. And so, I don't know what excuses you may be telling yourself today if, you're, if, you know, if you've somehow got into this class and you're not a saved, you're not a Christian. You don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. Well, the good news is, you don't have to be anything to get saved. You simply have to humble yourself and place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. But, as many of you I know are Christians, the next thing is this. Don't allow an excuse to keep you from serving God. Because it doesn't matter what has went on in your life. God wants to use you. you just got to humble yourself and be used of God. And He will use you. God takes the foolish to confound the wise. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We are so thankful that we, we don't have to achieve anything or be anything specific or reach a certain level to be loved or, or used of you. God, we're thankful that when, when we simply obey you by faith and depend upon you, you can use us to do, as one verse says, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so, God, we thank you for that. And help us to leave here encouraged. Help us to leave here determined to, to, to put aside the excuses and to trust you and to serve you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. We pray for our pastor now. We pray for the service to follow. May you get all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.